Good morning, everyone. I am James Matson, and I work in adult ministries with the amazing Debbie Dukar. And it is really a joy for me to be able to share with you on Father's Day. It gives me an excuse to brag about my family. Uh, see here, these are the, uh, the kids in my household. You see my son, Connor, who is 11, and Luke, who is 13 months. And then the queen of the household is Ruby, our three-month-old puppy. My wife, Anna, and I decided that, uh, that Ruby and Luke are actually going through similar developmental stages. You laugh. You don't have to live there. <clears throat> They're both teething. They both have toys that squeak. Neither one of them is housebroken. <laughs> they both get us up in the middle of the night. They both put everything they find on the ground right into their mouth. Everything. Neither one of them understands the word no. And they both have this irresistible urge to do the very thing that is destructive to them. For example, they both are drawn to chewing on power cords. Every day. Feels like a thousand times a day we have to pull them away from the power cords. It reminds me of what John Crosby said last week in the introduction to the fruit of the Spirit. That there are two paths to choose from. The path of the sinful nature, which leads to destruction, like chewing on power cords, or following the path of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at the, uh, the passage that talks about the fruit of the Spirit again from Galatians chapter 5. This is what Paul writes. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. I think the word nature here suggests that apart from God, that we have these desires that we are, that we are born with in our broken, sinful state. And we naturally want to live them out. Paul goes on, For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that we do not do what we want to do. We can all relate to that internal conflict, right? We all experience that. Paul says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Well, I think they're obvious when the Holy Spirit is in us and we're listening to the Holy Spirit. So Paul gives us a partial list of some of these behaviors. Chewing on power cords isn't, didn't make the list the first time through. Uh, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfishness, ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. And he just gets tired of listing them. There's more. He says, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So these are all behaviors that are destructive. They're both self-destructive and they destroy relationships. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, 
gentleness, and self-control. In contrast, the fruit of the Spirit are all characteristics that cause relationships to flourish. John promised us last week that uh, each preacher in this series would, uh, would bring you two bullet points about the fruit of the Spirit before we dive deeper into one aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. So here are my two bullet points for you. You ready? You, you look ready. First of all, the fruit of the Spirit is describing the character of Jesus. I think one thing that can be confusing about the fruit of the Spirit, at least when it comes to grammar, for those of you who care about grammar, is that Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit in the singular, even though there are many characteristics. We naturally revert to calling them the fruits of the Spirit, but that's incorrect. The fruit of the Spirit is actually describing the nature of Jesus himself. That is why it's in the singular. So when we exhibit joy and love and peace and so on in our life, we are reflecting the nature of who Jesus is to other people. This leads us right to the second point then, that the key to bearing fruit lies with Jesus himself. I think most of us would like to be more loving and joyful and kind and so on. And the common solution we use is to try harder. In my own experience, the try harder method usually leads to failure and frustration. The fruit of the Spirit is really all about relationships. And growing in this area then begins with our relationship with Jesus. Jesus himself said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. The word remain here in the Greek really suggests the idea of an intrapersonal relationship. Jesus is simply saying that if we are in relationship with him, we will start to take on his characteristics. The closer we get to Jesus, the more we become like him. A branch produces fruit because it stays rooted to the vine. And it doesn't produce fruit as its goal. The goal of the branch really is just to stay connected to the vine because it's the source of life. The fruit is just the result of being connected. So our goal isn't to bear fruit. Our goal is to be close to Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit then becomes the byproduct of that goal, of that relationship. Our main job isn't to work harder. Our main job is to remain. And this is a picture of resting in Jesus. Resting in who he is and resting in what he did for us on the cross. We're going to talk more about that when we dig into peace. So we take on the characteristics of Christ as we cling to the vine. If we draw close to Jesus the fruit will be evident in all our other relationships. The best example that I have seen of this in my own life is, is my, my own father. I have often wondered, why does Hallmark print more than one card that says, Dad, you're the greatest? You know, there can only be one greatest dad. And I think my dad is the greatest. What is the secret to his success. It's his relationship with Jesus. Every day 
he has made it a priority to spend time reading the word of God and talking to Jesus. But it's even more than the spiritual discipline. It's allowing that relationship to transform his whole life. And because my dad draws close to Jesus, his character reflects Christ by exhibiting love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in all his relationships. All right, those are your two bullet points. Today we want to dig deeper into the biblical idea of peace. And, and I think sometimes for us with peace, we're probably more aware of when we don't have it than when we do have it. What do you think? Yes? Like we know we don't have peace when we're having a misunderstanding with our spouse. We know we don't have peace when we're feeling unloved, unworthy, or insignificant. Or we know we don't have peace when we're up at 3 a.m. in the morning worrying about something. We have a tendency then to simplify the meaning of peace to harmony or the absence of conflict. But I think this idea of peace is rather anemic. In the biblical tradition, peace is something much deeper. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And and you're probably aware that in Israel, Jewish people greet each other with peace, right? When they meet someone and when they depart both, they greet them with peace. And I don't think they're really saying to their neighbor, I hope you don't have conflict today. There's something much deeper there. Tim Keller defines peace this way. The presence of joy, total flourishing in every dimension of life, relationally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically. The way things ought to be. The way things ought to be. I wonder how much these greetings of shalom not only depart not only impart the desire for their friends to experience life the way things ought to be, but also acknowledgement that our life is broken and not what it should be. Can you relate to that idea? That life is broken, that it's not exactly the way it should be? If you're like me, it's not hard to find those broken places. So this is the kind of peace that I hunger for, A peace that brings redemption to my brokenness. A peace that fills my empty places. A peace that conquers my insecurities. And a peace that gives me a hope and a future. Isn't this exactly why Jesus came to earth? To to provide a means for us to have this kind of peace? This is the message of the gospel. My wife once said to me, that there are five words that you should hear every Sunday at church. And this thought really stuck with me. Do you want to know what the five words are? Yes, you do, don't you? Jesus died for your sin. Jesus died for your sin. I know you're all counting them, aren't you? This is, in a nutshell, the gospel of grace. Because of our sin... We deserve condemnation and eternal separation from God. But by grace, through faith in Jesus, we are saved. This is a simple truth. 
but it's a powerful truth. Another way to remember what the gospel is, is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. But I think sometimes we can fall into the trap of thinking that this good news of the gospel only has to do with our ticket into heaven. In reality, the gospel changes everything. The gospel changes everything. You see, the work of Christ on the cross is the key to our peace. It is what brings us abundant life, joy, hope, and salvation. It is Christ's death on the cross that has brought us peace with God the Father. The Apostle Paul tells us in Romans, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Colossians, he explains this even further when he says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you are alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. Our peace with God is achieved through the violent death of Christ on the cross. How easily we can forget that we were once enemies of God, alienated from him. In Ephesians, Paul puts even more bluntly when he says that we were once objects of God's wrath because of our sin. So how amazing this gift of grace that we can go from being objects of God's wrath to being reconciled to God and then presented before God as holy, without any blemish, free from accusation. It's remarkable, isn't it? Talk about a sense of peace. Talk about life being restored to the way things ought to be. God sees us as whole and holy, not because of our effort, but because of this gift of grace. But the gospel doesn't end there. It offers us even more. The gospel of John says that to everyone who puts their trust in Jesus, they will become children of God. We become adopted by our Heavenly Father. We go from being separated from God to being able to experience a personal relationship with our Heavenly Father. And in a world where our earthly fathers are in varying degrees imperfect, our Heavenly Father offers us a flourishing relationship. I came across a list, that one right there, that talks about all the benefits of being in a relationship with our Heavenly Father, all the things that our Heavenly Father does for us. Let's look at a few of these. My Father loves me. He cares for me. He forgives me. He's compassionate and giving and understanding and accepting. He satisfies. He persistently pursues me. And the list goes on and on. And this is just a partial list. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? What does it do for your soul when you read this list? We cannot help but be moved by this. This is a picture of peace. 
This is a picture of flourishing in your relationship with God. Life the way it should be. Your heavenly Father loves you. He cares for you. This isn't conditional on your behavior. You don't have to earn God's acceptance. So the pressure to perform is off. This relationship is freely yours to give and take. This is part of the peace that Jesus offers you. And when we have salvation through Christ and really embrace it, it becomes priceless to us. We no longer have to seek our self-worth through our popularity, our looks, our career, our reputation, whatever our identity is in. This peace releases us from our insecurities and our worries, and it brings peace to all other areas of our life. My wife once said to me that, that if we're not experiencing joy in our life, it's because we're not living in the fullness of the gospel. And I think the same thing is true about peace. The daily benefits of the gospel are available to all of us who are in Christ. But I think the reality is, is that we don't always feel them present. Is that right? Someone say yes. Thank you. We don't always feel that they are there. That is why Paul commands us, Colossians 3.15, he says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. This is a command. The benefits of the gospel are there for all of us. But we have to make the decision to believe the gospel is true no matter what the circumstances. My friend Kim Green, who works at a church in Richmond, Virginia, says that rule here is like an umpire who has made the call that this is true. She says that peace is not meant here as a subjective feeling, but rather as an authoritative rule. It has the power to dictate our actions and shepherd our hearts. I know that sometimes our feelings can lead us astray. Just because we feel unworthy, though, it doesn't mean it is true. Or we can feel that God doesn't love us, but that doesn't make it so. These feelings work to undo the peace that Christ has bought us on the cross. I think it is natural for us to look at this slide and not always feel that they are true for us. How could God love me if such and such, and such is happening in my life? Or I am such a sinner, how could God love me? But Paul commands us to believe. Believe this is what your Heavenly Father thinks about you. Regardless of what is happening in your life. Regardless of what that voice of discouragement is saying to you. My challenge for you is to embrace the good news of the gospel. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Believe it is true. Believe it because it is true. Remain in Jesus. Rest in Jesus. Just embrace the love that God the Father God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have for you. It's a great picture of Luke, isn't it? Don't you think Luke's one of the cutest babies you've ever seen? (laughs) How come I'm the only one raising their hand? We're not leaving until everyone raises their hand. Thank you. 
You guys are staying another hour just because you didn't raise your hand. I've, I've, I've learned a lot from watching Luke this year. And one of the things that I've observed is that babies don't wonder whether or not their mom loves them. And babies don't worry about whether or not they're worthy of such a big love. Luke just rests in his mom's love. It's the source of his comfort and identity. And I've just learned a lot about resting in my father's love for me from watching Luke. Let me just wrap up today by giving you some, some tips on how you can let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. First of all, I encourage you to, to meditate on this list of my relationship with your, your father. Maybe you want to write down the ones that are most significant to you. Or if you would like this list, I would love to email it to you. James M at cpconline.org. You know what would make my day? If I got 700 emails today and I could send this to you. That would make me happy. James M at cpconline.org. Take this list. Put it on your bathroom mirror. Every morning when you wake up, read through the list. Read it until you believe it and feel it and live it. If you ever go to a class that I teach, you'll hear me say that that I preach the gospel to myself every day. Because it's true. And I do it because I need to be reminded of the reality of the goodness and the necessity of what Jesus has done for me. It's the hope that gives me peace amidst the internal and external storms of life. So today, I'm doing what I do every day. I'm preaching the gospel to myself. It was nice of you guys to show up to hear it. You know, tomorrow I'm going to do it again. It's just going to be me and the dog, but we need to hear it. And so I just encourage you to continue to meditate on the truth of what the gospel has brought you. Second thing, learn more about the blessings that come from being a child of God. Here's one exercise you can do at home. Open your Bible. I know it's a big step. Read Ephesians 1 and 2 and make a list of all the benefits you see there of being a child of God. My guess is you can find about 20 of them. And meditate on that list. A little homework for you. The third thing is to spend time alone with Jesus. We talked about this at the beginning. But talk to him. Listen to him. Learn more about Jesus. Make room for him in your life. If this is a new idea for you, then I say start simple. Ten minutes a day. Maybe you could start by reading one chapter of the Gospel of John a day. And then just spend some time talking to Jesus. Jesus is present with you through the Holy Spirit. He is your peace. And finally then, choose to believe this peace is yours. Daily make that choice to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. I heard John Crosby say two weeks ago that the grace of Jesus reminds us that we are beloved and broken at the same time. 
And the peace that Jesus brings doesn't take away all the broken things in our life in this present age. But it brings redemption. It brings hope. It shines light in dark places. It can bring perspective to difficult situations. And it reminds us that we are loved in a big way. My son, uh, Connor, who is 11 now, he's my, my pride and joy. And um, he's from my, my first marriage. I only have him from Thursday afternoon until, until Saturday morning. And I was thinking back to the days when he was at daycare, like maybe eight years ago. And I was really struggling with the brokenness of my life. And the highlight of my week was picking up Connor at daycare. Just that moment when I would walk into his room and see his face light up. And he would run to me and give me the biggest hug. And every week the teacher would come up and say, All day long, Connor's been saying, Today my father comes. That was always a picture of shalom to me. That moment in the midst of my brokenness when life was the way that it should be. And it gave me hope that God was really at work in my broken life. It reminds me of my favorite parable. The parable of the prodigal son. You know the one where the son wanders off from the father. Squanders his life and squanders his life in sin. Ends up in the pigsty. Decides to go back to the father. But my favorite part is that the father is waiting in expectation for the son. And when he sees him afar, he runs to him and gives his son the biggest hug. He wants to show him how big his love is. And I love that parable because in some way every day I am the prodigal son in desperate need of God's grace. And every day, my Heavenly Father runs to me. So like Connor, today we can say, my Father comes and he offers us peace and grace and love to any of us who had accepted through Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful for this love that you have given to us. Father, I confess that we don't always feel your love, that we have wandered off, whether in our sinfulness or in our busyness, or because we think we have a better plan than yours. But we come before you now and we stop. We know that you are here now and I just pray that you would impress upon us how much you love us. We thank you that you sent your son to die for our sin that we can have this relationship with you. It is our hope and our future. In thy name we pray, amen.